0: Well, with that, I would want to invite you tonight to turn your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 22. I'm going to read 1 Kings chapter 22 verses 1 through 40, and I'll be reading tonight from the Legacy Standard Version, and in the evening service, uh, I have often been reading from this update of the New American Standard, which is, main difference is simply that uh, it translates the Hebrew word Yahweh, the name of God, as Yahweh. So I'll be, you'll hear that as I read. This is God's word. So they lived for three years without war between Aram and Israel. Now it happened in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. Then the king of Israel said to his servants, do you know that Ramoth, Ramoth Gilead belongs to us, but we are sitting still so as not to take it out of the hand of the king of Aram? So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Moreover, Jehoshaphat Said to the king of Israel, Please inquire first for the word of Yahweh. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not yet a prophet of Yahweh here that we may inquire of him? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of Yahweh, but I hate him, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imla. But Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, hasten to bring Micaiah the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat king of Judah were sitting each on his throne clothed in their royal garments at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria and all the prophets were prophesying before them and Zedekiah the son of Chenanah made horns of iron for himself and said thus says Yahweh With these you will gore the Arameans until they are consumed. All the prophets were also prophesying, thus saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and succeed, and Yahweh will give it into the hand of the king. Now the messenger who went to summon Micaiah sent to him, saying, Behold now the words of the prophets, as if from one mouth, are good towards the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak that which is good. But Micaiah said, as Yahweh lives, what Yahweh says to me, that I shall speak. Then he came to the king and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he said to him, go up and succeed and Yahweh will give it into the hand of the king. Then the king said to him, How many times must I make you swear that you will speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of Yahweh? So he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And Yahweh said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, did I not say to you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Then Micaiah said, therefore hear the word of Yahweh. I saw Yahweh sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right and on his left. And Yahweh said, who will entice Ahab so that he will go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this while another said that then a spirit came forward and stood before Yahweh and said I will entice him. And Yahweh said to him how and he said I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said you shall entice him and also prevail go out and do so. So now, behold, Yahweh has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets, but Yahweh has spoken calamity against you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenaanah came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the spirit of Yahweh pass from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Behold, you will see on that day when you enter an inner court room to hide and the king of Israel said take Micaiah and return him to Ammon the commander of the city and to Joash the king's son and say thus says the king put this man in prison and feed him sparingly with bread and water until I come back safely and Micaiah said if you indeed return safely Yahweh has not spoken by me And he said, Listen, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up against Ramoth-Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into the battle, but you put on your garments. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into the battle. Now the king of Aram had commanded the 32 commanders of his chariots saying, Do not fight with small or great, but with the king of Israel alone. Now it happened when the commanders of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. So it happened that when the commanders of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint of the armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the fight, for I am severely wounded. Now the battle raged that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot in front of the Arameans and died at evening, and the blood from the wound ran into the bottom of the chariot. Then a shout of lament passed through the camp close to sunset saying every man to his city and every man to his land. So the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria and they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood. Now the harlots bathed themselves there according to the word of Yahweh which he spoke. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house which he built and all the cities which he built, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab slept with his fathers and Ahaziah, his son, became king in his place. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, every portion of it. And we know that these ancient accounts recorded for us in the Bible are for our instruction in these days. We pray that your spirit would impress upon our hearts and minds the things that you have for us. That we might live wisely as unto you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, it's... A lengthy reading tonight, but it's a remarkable chapter. King Ahab has defeated the Arameans, but three years has passed, and the king of Aram, um, Ben-Hadad, and those fellows have yet to hand over one of the key cities, Ramoth-Gilead, which lied Uh, rather uh, was at a point which which, uh, was on the route, one of the trade routes, and was a valuable city. At this time, it so happened that Ahab, who's king of the ten tribes, the kingdom of Israel in the north, happens to be on good terms with King Jehoshaphat, who's king over Judah and Jerusalem in the south. We we know already that there's frequently been war between Israel in the north and Judah in the south but at this present time they are united by external threats Assyrians are looming and in uh, coming down and into the area and the Arameans are again Assyria is being a problem for them and so they're united in a common desire to keep these foreign enemies at bay. There were three years of peace, and but in those three years, we learned that Ramoth-Gilead still had not been handed over to Israel. So Ahab, when he is visiting with King Jehoshaphat, has a grand idea. Will you go up with me, verse 4, to battle at Ramoth-Gilead? They had a sense that they were of common lineage. Even though Israel and Judah often were at war with one another, they did understand that in comparison to all the nations around them, they descended from the same fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their history was the same. And remember, there was in the north not only Baal worship, not only worship of Asherah, but there was presumably a form of worship of the true God. Remember, that the king of Israel had set up golden calves in two of the capital cities of Israel in the north and had told the people, this is Yahweh, the God who led you out of Israel. Never mind that the true God had said, you shall not make any graven images. So there's a corrupt form of, if you want to call it Christianity, in the north. There's Baal, there's Asherah, there's sheer paganism. But dominant is this is this malformed for, uh, Christianity, if you uh, will, uh, to modernize it. It's it's religion that sounds right, but does not accord with the Word of God. And the Word of God is the key theme of this passage. This is now the third time that First Kings has emphasized wicked king Ahab's interaction with the word of God. First, at the hands of an unnamed prophet, remember that fellow who had another prophet and uh, rather another man say, said to him, hit me in the face? Uh, kids, you haven't tried that, right? You haven't told your siblings, hit me in the face. It, you can't say, well, the Bible said I, uh, I could hit you in the face. No, <laughs> that's not what that was about. But that prophet, that unnamed prophet, and he warned Ahab. And then there was Elijah the Tishbite who warned Ahab and even prophesied that the dogs would lick up his blood. And we had seen Ahab apparently repent and he put on sackcloth and he seemed to humble himself. And yet here we find in chapter 22 that Ahab's heart remains unrepentant and here now is the third significant time that the Word of God is coming to wicked King Ahab and confronting him. I'm going to be referencing tonight a little more maybe than usual uh, Dale Ralph Davis's commentary on 1 Kings. And, and I'm, I'm doing this because uh, I've encouraged many of you to pick up this commentary. We've been using uh, this godly pastor's uh, uh, commentary to aid us as we go along and And tonight I want to quote a few, uh, share with you a few quotes and reflections I think are particularly helpful. But one insight that I thought was especially helpful was this. If you want to summarize chapter 22, Dale Ralph Davis states it this way. The word of God destroys the man who defies it. The word of God destroys the man who defies it. Now that is not something we hear in our day. We hear the word of God builds us up, which it does, those who are in Christ. The word of God must be shared so that men and women can trust in Christ. Absolutely true. We hear about the sufficiency of the word, which is true. We hear about the authority of the word, which is true. But we rarely, if ever, hear in these days about the word of God also judging and destroying now there was a lot of judgment in last week's sermon and I'm mindful of that as we come to the text tonight but it is something that apparently the Holy Spirit wants to impress upon us I was uh, visiting with some pastors and I think I already referenced this conversation but it came to me again and and uh, these friends of mine we were talking about ministry and and um one friend was, was commenting that he he wished that more pastors in, dare I say, these hip, cool, pop, uh, sentimental uh, show churches, um, and I don't mean to be unkind, but I, I think that's a fair kind of impression, was saying, well, maybe in these days when when things are getting so serious in our nation and times are so bad and evil is so rampant, maybe these pastors will be open to returning to the word of God and expository preaching and and I I chimed in rather strongly and I said no because it fails and it was kind of silent (laughs) and uh, I was a little concerned because I thought well I you know I'm not really saying the word of God fails that's not what I mean I, I the word of God does all that God sent it for but what I meant was this in these days when we're constantly churches and Christians are looking for ways that work according to man's ways to to build up a church to gather in numbers the word of God is not necessarily considered successful because it both builds up and tears down it both saves and judges it doesn't fail I didn't mean that in the sense of You can go wrong preaching the word of God, but what I mean is it fails according to the standard of our day, which means the word can never do anything negative, right? That's what we think in these days. There there can't be anything negative. It must all be positive. Everything must be happy. The word of God defies, rather destroys, the man who defies it. I I think it's a very helpful insight from Dale Ralph Davis. So I want to look with you tonight at this chapter we'll divide it up into five headings. First I want to look with you in verses one through eight at and this is all about the word of God we're once again learning about the nature of the word of God and with the word of God we're learning about God himself because the word is God's it belongs to Yahweh the Lord our God First in verses one through eight, we learn of the wanted, unwanted word. Can there be such a thing you say as "wanted, unwanted? I don't know, but that's what the I, I thought that was helpful. I have the wanted, hyphen, unwanted word. It's wanted because even Ahab, the king of Israel, wants some semblance of assurance that this plan of his to go and fight against Syria, the Arameans, and battle against Ramoth-Gilead, he wants some assurance from spiritual blessing of some sort. And Jehoshaphat also, who is a godly king from Judah, also wants, before he saunters off with his troops and goes into battle, wants a word from the Lord. And Lots of people today think the idea of preaching the word or, or speaking the word is a good idea. I, I haven't met too many men and women who profess themselves to be Christians who think that preaching the Bible is a bad thing. <laughs> There's enough of a memory uh, and in, in the church and even evangelical Christian, Christianity that we know that teaching and preaching the Bible is a good thing. So. Everybody's pretty happy to agree on, yes, we should teach, we should preach the Bible. It seems that people want the Word. We have nice copies of the Bible. We have it in different versions. We are, we are thankful for the opportunity to hear the Word of God taught, and the more engaging and interesting, the better, which, which is certainly reasonable. And so there's this, there's this seeming want of the Word and yet, when you really come down to it, when it really comes down to it, it's unwanted. Because it's not a word that naturally aligns with our presumptions, with our assumptions, with our built-up accumulation of ideas of how things should be, our accumulated sense of, of theology that we built from little sayings here or little sayings there other than the word. It is both, it is wanted in the sense that we think we want it, but when it really comes down to it, and the word of God sometimes confronts our lives, our ways of living, our ways of thinking, both individually and as a church, when it comes down to it, it is more often than not the unwanted word. The wanted, unwanted word. King Ahab has lots of prophets and Notice that those prophets in chapter 22 are not prophets of Baal. Dale Ralph Davis was helpful in pointing this out. And you notice that the false prophets, and led by this fellow, verse 11, named Zedekiah, the son of Chenaana, that he prophesies or preaches in the name of Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh. So he's claiming to speak on behalf of the true God, the God of Israel and the God of Judah. But Ahab has plenty of guys like that. He has plenty of, of false prophets. But when it comes to a preacher, a prophet, that will really speak the word of God as it is, Ahab's not so keen on that. Jehoshaphat sees that this, this assembly of false prophets are are not real prophets he's he's he knows enough of the bible he knows enough of of true godly religion that he can see this as a charade he can see through the smoke he can see the lights and the he can see the improv and he can see that these prophets are just are just playing to the king they're just playing to the crowd they're just playing to their career they're playing the numbers They're giving the king what he wants, and Jehoshaphat can see it. So he says, verse 7, is there not yet a prophet of Yahweh here that we may inquire of him? And Ahab, can we see him sulking on his throne? The king of Israel, that's Ahab, said Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man whom we may inquire of Yahweh, but I hate him. I hate him. I hate him because he, he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Well, the last prophet he interacted with, Elijah the Tishbite, did prophesy evil. But when Ahab humbled himself, there was mercy, not just evil. It was a mercy, remember, that astounded us because we saw the judgment of God. And Ahab, of all people, when he humbled himself, God showed mercy to him. It's like showing mercy to a guard of one of the Jewish, con- uh, Nazi, rather Nazi concentration camps. I mean, Ahab is that kind of character. And yet, in Ahab's mind, all that God has for him is a bad word, an evil word. Now, we wonder, where is Elijah the Tishbite? I don't know. That's one of those, if you ask me that, he's here, he's going to come back. Uh, I mean, he didn't go like to heaven and come back, but he's, he's just in the background. And here we learn of another prophet, another servant, Micaiah, Micaiah, son of Imla. So Ahab relents to Jehoshaphat's request, and he sends for this fellow named Micaiah. The wanted, unwanted word. I just want to pause here and we need to ask ourselves tonight do I really want the word do I want all of it or do I want just some semblance of it do I really want the word of God in its full glory in its judgment and its mercy do I want the word to search me convict me under the ministry of the Holy Spirit do I want it to rebuke me and correct me do I want it to train me for righteousness so that I may be equipped for every good work or do I just want parts of it now it's not a bad thing that there's parts of the Bible that we cherish more than others I don't think God is upset with us that we enjoy romans 8 or psalm 23 more than we do one of the lists in the book of numbers i think god understands but we need all of it it's one of the reasons why we're here tonight and why we insist on preaching from both the new testament and the old testament we need the word we need all of it may it be the wanted word among us in all of its force. Well next we want to see look at verses 9 through 18 at the unbending word. The unbending word. The setting again is these false prophets these these preachers who are more than happy to preach a positive message. The king wants to go to battle and retake Ramoth Gilead, and it's a noble cause, and and people seem to be excited about it. And after all, after all these years, the king Ahab and Jehoshaphat are together. This is, this is a moving story, a moving drama. And so all of these prophets led by Zedekiah, they're working up their best theatrics to... To encourage and give a positive message, I mean Zedekiah is just like Joel Olstein. I mean he's up there smiling. He probably looks pretty good, and he just wants King Ahab to not worry and not to be depressed because God has a wonderful plan for his life. All King Ahab has to do is believe it can happen, and it will happen. He's lying. He's working it up in his old own mind, but. When the king sends for Micaiah, the true prophet of Yahweh, when the servant goes to Micaiah, the messenger, verse 13, reaches Micaiah, the true prophet. (laughs) The messenger says, behold now the word of the prophets, the false prophets, as if one mouth are good towards the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them. And maybe the servant Is worried about his own neck I mean if I bring Micaiah back maybe I'll be associated with Micaiah and I'll look bad so he's begging him come on can't you show a little tact can't you adjust it just a little bit I mean everybody's united in this and if if you don't bring a positive word it's just going to put a whole damper on the whole thing speak what is good but Micaiah said, verse 14, as Yahweh lives. Does Yahweh live? Is he the living God? Yes, he is. As Yahweh lives, what Yahweh says to me, that I shall speak. That is the mandate of every true Bible teacher and preacher. What God speaks is... That is what I will speak. And you're to say and to teach not what you think God told you in your head late Saturday night, but you're to, as Paul commanded Timothy, to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to teaching and to preaching. It's so simple. It's so simple but it is so hard to find. Because too many, and I'll say good men, I think men who started out loving the Lord Jesus, wanted to serve him, too many men started out that way, started to be built up by others around them, telling them how much of a dynamic speaker they were and Surely God was blessing them. And, and they were told, but no, you can't just read that and teach that without lots of stories, lots of illustrations. You've got to be humorous, man, or else you're just not going to connect with people. In the 21st, genera- 21st century, people don't want to hear hellfire and brimstone. It's a hard life. It's a hard world. People need uplifting messages. And of course they do. I hope that as you come, I hope that you are uplifted as we, by God's grace, try to continually point you to Christ and the gospel. It's so many men who fill, and I was going to say pulpits, they've taken the pulpits, That is one of the biggest signs to me of the unwanted word. There's no thou shalt have a pulpit. I understand that. And I say this as one who not only once didn't think there should be pulpits, but I once myself, by myself, with my own hands, took apart the pulpit that I sat under as a boy because I thought pulpits were intrusive and I just didn't know I didn't understand because I was being told that people need to see you. And they need to hear your illustrations and they need to connect with you. And I didn't know the history of the Protestant Reformation and even the biblical history through like Ezra the scribe, where they built a podium for the word of God to sit upon, symbolizing the place of God's word among the people. We've removed the pulpits, but more than that, we've removed the word. And we've removed it so much that people don't even know what biblical preaching is anymore. And I I don't mean that to be unkind. I mean it in truth. We've gotten to such a low point that people think if if their pastor makes an allusion to the Bible, and it's remotely related to the Bible, that somehow it was a biblical sermon. It is the wanted, unwanted word. But notice that it is the unbending word. What I mean by that is God will not bend his word to the wants and whims of any generation, in any culture, at any time, at any place, under any circumstances. Because his word is as he is. Almighty holy supreme pure not lacking anything not needing to change for god does not change and his word when he gave it does not need to be updated it does not to be edited does not need to be edited it is his full word and it is unbending the word can be so life-giving to us right It, it, it it's like water to our souls when we desire it and we thirst for it but if like Ahab we don't want it make no mistake that the word of God will be harder than the concrete underneath your feet right now and you could wish that it would bend you could wish that it could be a little softer but we're learning in this chapter that it is the unbending word Micaiah says, as Yahweh lives, what Yahweh says to me, that shall I speak. I can do no other. It's like what Luther said. Here I stand, I can do no other. And his stand was taken not upon some courage in himself. Luther was actually extremely nervous and anxious at the diet of worms, fearing for his own life. But he understood that it was not to him to change the word of God. Even the word would not bow or bend or change to the dictates of kings. People say, well, it doesn't work. People won't come to your church if you just read the Bible and teach it as it is. Then, what's the word doing in that area? It's not failing. It is judging. Because it's revealing that men and women, no matter what they say, no matter how many religious sayings, even Christian sayings they have in their mouth, they don't really want God. Because they don't want His Word. The Word is unbending. it is such an important principle for us to realize. I want to read just a little quote from Dale Ralph Davis on this point. He said, The messenger assumes that Micaiah would agree with the prophetic caucus if only he would They do not understand Micaiah's position, which he states in verse 14. He is in bondage to the word of God. Hence, the word of God is free and cannot be manipulated by kings or messengers or even slick prophets. Whatever word Yahweh gives a prophet, that is what the prophet must speak. The prophet is not at liberty to massage or shape or bend, let alone pervert that word. The word of Yahweh is a given and must be passed on as given. The true prophet of God is in bondage to the uncoercible word of God. The word of Yahweh is free. The servant of Yahweh is in bondage to it. Let me say that again. The word of Yahweh is free. In other words, the word is not bound to any of our wishes. Rather, it is the servant of Yahweh. It is the preacher, if you will, that is in bondage to the word. Ahab cannot comprehend the sovereign freedom of Yahweh's word, and neither can most people today. We just cannot fathom that God wouldn't update his word to appease modern sensibilities, but he won't. Next, thirdly, look with me tonight in verses 19 through through twenty-eight, And we'll entitle this section, The Unwanted Word, again. We started with the wanted, unwanted word, but now it's really unwanted. Now, that, now it's clear. The heart of Ahab is revealed in verses 19 through 28 as Micaiah, after he is told by King Ahab to speak nothing but the truth in verse 16 isn't that remarkable Ahab wants the truth but he doesn't want the truth he thinks he wants the truth but he doesn't want the truth and so finally uh, in verse 15 uh, Micaiah had sarcastically said go up and succeed in case you didn't pick up on it he's being sarcastic there he he knows Ahab doesn't want the word that he has to say he knows he doesn't want the word so so in in holy sarcasm, he says, along with the other prophets, go up and succeed and Yahweh will give it into the hand of the king. Ahab picks up on his falsehood, his sarcasm, and makes him swear that he will speak the truth. And so Micaiah says, I saw all Israel scatter on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. The Shepherd was a metaphor, a term for the kings of Israel and Judah. So what Micaiah is prophesying is that the king of Israel will die. The shepherd will be removed and the sheep will be scattered. Ahab, instead of thanking the prophet for speaking the truth, turns to Jehoshaphat, verse 18, and says, Did I not say to you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? This is another example of how the word is uncoercible and independent, if you will. Ahab doesn't understand that Micaiah is not at liberty to change the word. I've experienced this so much, I cannot tell you how much I've experienced this. Um, when people at times have thanked me, on we'll put on the positive side, when, when people have thanked me and as though it was my word. I mean, if I read it, that's not my word, and if I taught it in truth, all I did was preach the word. Sure, I was used of God, but I'm just the messenger. You you know the the saying, I I just deliver the mail, I don't write it. And that's the role of a troop, of a preacher, of a faithful preacher of Jesus Christ. You, You don't write it, you just deliver it. And people will thank me and I appreciate that but sometimes they thank me as though like it was my word it was my sermon and if it was then it deserves to be thrown out and burned up but on the flip side I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say you're saying that well <laughs> wait a minute I just showed you a verse from the Bible that's God's am I saying that that this is the characteristics of someone who's truly saved and someone who's not saved. I didn't write that. I didn't write First John. I didn't, I didn't write that. I'm just, I'm just reading it to you. But you're saying that? You're saying that, you know, there's judgment? You're saying that there's a real place called hell? The unwanted word. we'll finish tonight with one more point and then we'll wait we'll save the rest for next time in verses 29 through 38 oh we'll finish tonight we need to finish we're too close to finishing i'll move quickly the count on it word the count on it word dale ralph davis calls it the certain word i'm amending um, little, mending that a little bit and calling it the count on it word. In other words, whatever God says he will do, count on it. It will be done. Whatever the word says will be done, you can count on it. That's what's going to happen. Micaiah prophesies that the king of, king of Israel, Ahab, will be killed. And more than that, he reveals a vision we missed, I'm sorry. I missed this section where where uh, he shares a vision of the throne room of heaven. It's a remarkable scene to us. It's maybe a little disturbing. What's going on? God is judging Ahab. God is seeing Ahab's unrepentant spirit, his wickedness, his rebellion against the Lord, and judgment has come. And he's even telling Ahab how he's going to judge him. There's going to be an enticing spirit spirit that will go into his false prophets and lead him astray. Zedekiah the false prophet is incensed and goes over and verse 24 strikes Micaiah on the cheek. He mocks him. How could you dare say that what we're saying isn't true? How could you dare say that we are, we are being influenced by Satan? And that's an unthinkable thought today as well. We, we just we cannot bring ourselves to consider that wherever the word of God is not preached in truth and the gospel is modified or covered over, that there's a, there's a devil, there's a satanic influence behind that. Did I say that the preacher's demon-possessed? No, but what is Satan doing constantly but trying to confuse people and cover over the true word? Satan's always at work. He loves to lead those who profess God into falsehood. Someone asked me just this past week, why are there so many different religions? Why are there so many different churches that teach crazy things? Why is there so much chaos? Why are there so much of these charlatans on the TV, health, wealth, gospel, preachers? And the answer is really simple. Because we have a spiritual enemy, the enemy of God and of Christ, who loves nothing more than to support and fund false preaching, false teaching. Note it. And so Micaiah proceeds. He carries on even though he is humiliated, even though he is struck and treated poorly. He remains faithful to his charge. He suffers for the word, but he holds fast. And he insists that the word of God will accomplish that for which it has been sent. And one of the true marks of a of a true prophet, the difference between a true and false prophet as spelled out in Deuteronomy 18, if a prophet ever was sent by God and said this is what will happen and if that did not happen you would know that that was a false prophet because what God says he will do he does and so verse 28 Micaiah said if you indeed return safely Yahweh has not spoken by me and then he warned the people listen all you people listen and we'll stop there tonight but let's leave that Let's leave that call ringing in our ears. Listen, all you people. Listen. Listen to the word as it is, not as we would want it to be. Listen to it in its fullness. Listen to it as coming from the very heart and mind and throne of God. Listen to the word. Don't be like Ahab. Don't dismiss it. Don't push it off don't resist it, and certainly don't defy it. Because we're going to learn next time we come that indeed the word of God does destroy the man who defies it. But the man or woman, boy or girl, who loves it and heeds it, what will he or she experience? Life. I end with Psalm 1. We referenced it this morning in relation to Jesus Christ how blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly but his delight is in the law of God and on it he meditates day and night the difference between ultimately being blessed and being judged is what we do with the word of God may God grant that we respond to it and listen. Let's pray. Once again, God, we thank you for the warning concerning your word because we are so prone to dismiss it. This is our constant battle. Our constant challenge is to read your word and to hear it and to receive it. So please help us as those who know of your son, Jesus Christ, and how he came and lived for us and died for us, that all the prophecies of the Old Testament came true concerning him, help us especially to cherish this word in all of its glory, to love it even when it confronts us. Grant to us humble hearts and grant us faithful preachers. Have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy upon the men who preach and teach your word in this area. And may we read what you have written, and may we preach what you have written. And may we not amend it, may we not downplay it, may we not belittle it, may we not edit it. May we not keep from your people, the people of Christ, the whole counsel of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.